Omajina Trimanandasya, Jinajina Sarakaya, Chakshuan Militanyeda, Tasmai Shi Guruvena Maha. Vanchkaptu Vishcha, Kripasin Vivacha. Patitanam Pamane Bio Vaishtavijuna Muna Maha. We'll continue this evening with uh, our detailed talks on Madhurya Kadamani. We've got to the point where Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur is firmly establishing the uh, position of bhakti as being completely independent of the paths of jnana or yoga or karma, of course. He's done this quite effectively and he's going to continue in a, for a couple more verses to really bring the point home. We spoke about the trouble of the paths of Gyan and Karma. Um, very stringent, uh, the goals, the lofty goal of liberation that the Gyani seeks uh, cannot, well, the path of Gyan itself cannot be entered into without a pure heart. So a pure heart requires pure activities, and pure activities are there uh, through uh, niskarma, niskama karma yoga, uh, acting within this world without any desire uh, to enjoy the world. It's a pretty difficult thing if there's no higher taste. If there's no higher taste, visaya, vinivartante, as Krishna says, then the, the, senses, are, the senses have a desire uh, to enjoy. Well, the senses are driven by the living entity, so we have a desire to enjoy. Senses without without us really can't do anything. We're kind of like the driving force behind the senses, and, and without a higher taste. So you can imagine the position of the Gyani, that first of all, he has to get a pure heart. To get a pure heart, he has to give up all engagements in material activity that give him pleasure. It's a rather dry existence. And you hear this. The sadhus, the, the devotees, they, they look at the jnanis who seek liberation in Brahman and, and they, they're amazed. They say, well, what a fruitless path. Uh, you, you endeavor to give up sense enjoyment so that you can become liberated to do what? To have no enjoyment at all. Just to have no misery. Their goal is to give up the sufferings of material existence. But on the other end, their intent, the intent of their activity, the sankalpa, the intent of their activity is such that in the ultimate realization of their attainment what do they get? Everything's turned off. They become one with the great oneness of everything independent of senses independent of sense objects independent of interaction with any anybody nirvasesha sunyavadi who, who wants to engage in such a path? Seems horrible to the devotee because they have some higher knowledge. 
But the Gyani is only looking at what he has experienced. He has no higher taste. He hasn't been blessed with the association of the devotees. So he has no, no framework of reference for spiritual life except that he realizes through his intelligence and the whole path of Gyan is utilization of the intelligence. He, he realizes through the intelligence directed by the Vedas I'm, I'm a spirit soul. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm spirit. I'm not matter. And because of that, there's nothing here that can satisfy me. So what a path. What a, what a difficult path for them. That they, first of all, have to have a purified heart to get to the stage where they can perfectly acquire knowledge because without the purified heart, the intelligence is dragged into sense objects. So they have to purify their heart by doing activities in the world without a desire. Desirelessness in material life. As long as you have a material... How can that be? Very difficult. It's inconceivable. So what does Krishna say in the Bhagavad Gita? One out of what? One out of a lot. How many? Practically uncountable people strives for this stage of liberation. They work hard to get there. And of all those that try to get there, hardly one does. Once in a while, one will break through. And of all those that are liberated, who knows me in truth? Now that's real rarity. The Gyani, he has a rough time of it. And we ended the last class with what? When we look at the Gyanis, they fall into four categories. And of those four categories, two are failures. Right? The first one doesn't, although he studies the literatures that have been provided, he studies the Vedas, he, he's given the conclusive information regarding the spiritual nature of the self, the self wanting and desiring from his vantage point to give up material existence and merge into the Supreme Brahman. But he does not see the clue. He doesn't know how to give that one little particle of bhakti that's necessary to become successful. He, he, he just can't, he can't even conceive of it. Although it says there has to be some bhakti for Gyan to be successful, he can't conceive, well, why would I want to engage in a process where there's a form? And bhakti requires a form. The supreme, ha the formless has to take a form so I can worship it. So the one class... He just, he can't wrap his mind around what actually is the pra practice of mukti for the jnani according to the Veda. Just can't quite get it. He's a failure. Now the second he sees the scriptures and the scriptures say, you have to have some bhakti. He says, well then I want to be successful so therefore I'm going to have some bhakti. 
So let me worship the supreme, a formed supreme. But he's so immersed in this concept of Brahman that when he conceives of the supreme taking a form, when he conceives of that, he takes it as it must be material. So he conceives of the Supreme having a form in order to engage in the practice of bhakti, in order to make his jnana successful in attaining liberation. But unfortunately, his orientation is such that he can't imagine a formed spiritual entity. So therefore, if the Supreme takes a form, that form has to be material. So he worships. But his concept is the Supreme has a material form. That concept is enough to constitute an offense to the Supreme Lord, and that offense causes him to fall down. So the first Gyani has no hope because he doesn't engage in the process of bhakti, which is necessary to make him successful. The second, he takes up bhakti with the misconception that the Supreme must have a material form and I will worship him. That misconception constitutes an offense to the Supreme Lord and he's not successful. Now the third jnani, he gets the right conception. So he understands the right conception of the Supreme as as a personality of spirituality, not a material form. He gets it right. His goal, he attains mukti. The first two don't make it at all. The third, he's successful because he, he maintains the proper conception is given in, the, given in the Vedas according to his line. And the fourth, in hearing of the Supreme, that he is supposed to worship to make his practice successful, he hears from the sadhu, the devotee, and by just being touched by the sound vibration coming from the lips of Krishna's devotee, he's attracted. To Krishna, he abandons his endeavors for jnana, and he's super successful because he becomes Krishna's devotees. Devotee. Is that like the Kumaras? The Kumaras, Sukadev Goswami, yes. Of this path of jnana, we already know karma. Karma has to have some, some devotion to be successful. But mostly when we look at spirituality, we look to the jnani. When we look to the yogi, the, his... I mean, the karmi and the yogi... They're both kind of the same, are they not? The karmi wants to enjoy his senses. And the yogi wants to enjoy his senses to the nth degree. So much so that he'd even like to enjoy your senses for you. <laughs> That's one of his cities. One of his cities is he can control you. He can control your mind. That's one of the it's that's one of the yogi perfections. I forget what the uh, Sanskrit term is, but you've heard of that, right? 
can, they can actually control other living entities. Mind becomes smaller and smallest, bigger and biggest. They can go anywhere they want. They can create anything they want. They can acquire anything they want. So tell me, what's the difference between them and a karmi? They got a harder job getting to where they want, but when they get there, they get it all. They they have all these this potency. This they can create their own planet. I mean, they're very, very powerful. We don't see any. We see one that can maybe make a little particle of gold. Some little yogic city. And we go, oh my gosh. So much power. We're in Kali Yuga. We have not even... This is just a... It's like a semblance of a city. <laughs> at the best. How much different? How much is there when we look at when we look at the karma karmis? They simply want to go to heaven and enjoy like anything. Uh, they have different conceptions of heaven according to their tradition. They have different different ways of getting there. You know, the Vedas have their whole thing with the demigods and you know worship one for this and one for that. And the good house and the good good education, the good children, the good wife, the good this, good that, the good everything, and then at the end I get to go to the good place to live. Great. You know, and the, and the yogi is like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to turn, I'm going to control my mind and my senses to where I can control the world. Like a Haranyakasi poo. Sometimes even a devotee. We looked at Dhruva. He became so powerful. He gave up eating then he decided, oh, I'll just give up eating. I'll give up, again, I'll give up breathing. The whole, the whole universe is like, hey, Krishna, could you do something here? This guy is like, Brahma's, like, he's, he's suffocating the whole universe. That's how powerful he's becoming by following Narada's instruction. That's another story. So, <laughs> we won't go there. But, the yogic cities, we can see, like a Hiranyakasi Poo living inside the marrow of his bones. The body's gone, consumed in an anthill. And the whole universe is, is just all the demigods, everything. It's like they're scared to death. This is so much power in one living entity. One living entity, so powerful to, to be able to basically control the whole universe. Brahma, can you do something about it? All right, I'll go there see if I can pacify this guy before you know you know we all end up burnt to ashes by the by the power of his austerities. Okay, Hiranyakasipu, what would you like? <laughs> okay, what do I want, my little pretty? <laughs> Let me tell you what I want. I want it all. I like your job. I like to be eternal. I like to have nothing. Nothing can destroy me under any circumstance. And let's just go over those. Let's put all these circumstances in the contract. Since you want me to give up my austerities, let's write a contract. You give me what I want, and that's fine. I won't destroy you. And, okay. And by the way, I don't want killed by an animal or a human being during the day, during the night, by any weapon, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> oh, he just made down a whole list. 
Brahma said, okay, 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 okay. I can't make you eternal, but I can fulfill all those. We can do that. We can do that. Okay, write it in there. We're set. These three other paths, the karmis, the jnanis, the yogis, and we can see that when we look at the jnanis, the people that really want to be liberated from material existence, very, very difficult. How hard is it for them? Give up all the fruits of material life for a fruitless spiritual non-life of merging into the oneness of it all just to escape misery. Vishwanath brought this all out. He's bringing this to our attention to see what's going on here. That even these other paths to be any, any bit successful need a pinch of yoga. A pinch of yoga. Just like a perfectly made bread without that pinch of salt. Looks good. Perfect texture. Perfect everything. It's tasteless. There's nothing there without that pinch of salt, without that pinch of bhakti. And what else did Vishwanath point out to us that was so very important? He pointed out that when we see in the Shastra, in the literature, the spiritual literatures, when we see bhakti praised, when served by material things, that's not Prem Bhakti. That's not Vraj Bhakti. That's the little bit of Bhakti that the Jnani needs. So he, when it says austerities in relationship to Bhakti, or charity, or mercy, cleanliness, truthfulness, all these things as supportive of bhakti they're not supportive of bhakti they're supportive of that little bit of bhakti that the jnani needs to be successful because why bhakti is what the first instruction fully independent doesn't need anything else to be successful bhakti is successful in and of herself she doesn't need anybody's help the author states that karmis, jnanis, and yogis cannot avoid the help of bhakti to attain perfection in their respective paths. On the other hand, bhakti does not depend even in the slightest way on anything else to give its fruit, praying. Even in the slightest. Wow. Even in the slightest. Support. Sri Krishna speaks to Uddhava in the Uddhava Gita. Persons who wholeheartedly engage in my devotion generally do not appreciate the practice of jnana and vairagya. They don't, even, they don't even appreciate it. Bhakti is beyond the three modes of maya and is completely independent, but jnana and vairagya, however, are fully dependent on bhakti. Then it goes on to speak of the fact that jnana and vairagya follow bhakti. So I wanted to read those, read a couple verses from that Uddhava Gita where Krishna brings this out. My dear Uddhava, if my devotee has not fully conquered his senses, he may be harassed by material desires. 
But because of his unflinching devotion to for me, he will not be defeated by sense gratification. My dear Uddhava, an unalloyed devotee, these are, these are sequential verses, my unalloyed devotional service rendered to me by my devotees brings me under their control. I cannot be thus controlled by those engaged in mystic yoga, Sankhya philosophy, pious work, Vedic study, austerity, or renunciation. Neither religious activities endowed with honesty and mercy nor knowledge obtained with great penance can completely purify one's consciousness if they are bereft of loving service to me. If one's hairs do not stand on end, how can the heart melt? And if the heart does not melt, how can tears of love flow from the eyes? If one does not cry in spiritual happiness, how can one render loving service to the Lord? And without such service, how can the consciousness be purified? Krishna himself brings out the significance of of this in the Uddhava Gita. Now let's support it with the Goswamis. Jiva Goswami declares in the Preeti Sandarbha, the Preeti Sandarbha is one of the Satsandarbhas, that Bhakti cannot tolerate an adulteration not meant for the service of the Lord. So Vishwanath established his point. Now he, he really wants to bring it home by giving some some examples that seem to be, well, they would be from the viewpoint of the jnani, which we've just discussed, from the viewpoint of the jnani, unimaginable. Because what's the position of the jnani? In order to it become perfect and attain liberation, attain the supreme Brahman, what's he have to do? He has to completely purify his existence. There can be no sense gratification in him. Without a pure heart, he can't attain the, the requisite knowledge, realized knowledge, to be li liberated. Whereas the bhakti, who is full of lust, still full of lust, has lustful desires, is fully purified by Harikatha. And he is the most purified of his lust by what part of that Krishna Katha? Although lust is also considered a fault on the path of bhakti, one can still enter the devotional path despite being still afflicted by lust and other material desires. This is Vishwanath's verse. Srimad Bhagavatam 10.33.39 says, A person who faithfully hears or describes the Lord's pastimes of Rasa Leela with the gopis of Vraj attains supreme devotion of the Lord. He quickly becomes steady and conquers over the senses, giving up lust, the disease of the heart. Vishwanath explains it this way. In this text, after attaining supreme devotion, after attaining supreme devotion, is an unfinished act showing that bhakti can be attained even though one has lusty desires. How can one get the supreme devotion if you still have lusty desires? Because bhakti is not dependent 
on any material consideration. That will come out in the explanation. And the ex- in the explanation, we look to Krishna's Bhagavad Gita, Apichet Sudaracha. That the devotee, even when we see the most egregious fall down, the height of sinful activity, Krishna guarantees he takes care of him. He purifies him of that and it doesn't become an impediment. Here we see in the Bhagavatam, Vishwanath making the point, he quickly becomes steady and conquers over the senses. By what? By entering into a hearing or an even a repetition of Rasalila. That disease of the heart is cleansed by that activity. Whereas a path of Gyan requires what? The, hand, the heart has to be completely cleansed before one has any hope. Bhakti herself is so unlimitedly powerful that she can cleanse the heart without any help. She doesn't need assistance of knowledge. She doesn't need the assistance of renunciation. She can do it all by herself. In this text, after attaining supreme devotion, is an unfinished act showing that bhakti can be attained even though one has lusty desires. Showing that bhakti can be attained even if one has lusty desires. That's that's a heck of a statement. This shows the most independent nature and power of bhakti to destroy lusty desires. Sometimes lusty desires exist even while practicing devotion. From this, from verses like, if the most sinful person worships me exclusively, and though my devotee is afflicted by lusty desires, it is clear that through lusty desires, though lusty desires may exist in a devotee, still he is not condemned even slightly. the messengers of Vishnu judged Ajameel and here Vishwanath giving Ajameel as the example here's somebody who wasn't even a devotee really he wasn't a devotee he just uttered the holy name he chanted the holy name Bhakti touched him through the holy name and the Vishnu Dudas came and accepted him as a devotee even though his chanting was, wasn't even intended. The intent of the chanting was not correct. With karma yoga and jnana yoga, perfection depends on purity of heart, materials, place, and so on. Purity of all these factors assists in attaining the fruits of karma and jnana. Their lack obstructs the attainment of their respective fruits. Okay. If you don't have everything in place, if there's a mistake, we talked about even even a Brahmin who has it all right, he has everything in place, like Twasta. Still, because the path is so so detailed, 
that even if the intonation of a mantra is wrong, the result can be exactly opposite. That's how exacting karma is. How exacting jnana is. Their lack obstructs the attainment of their respective fruits. Bhakti, however, infuses life in them. Karma, jnana, and yoga are always dependent on bhakti, and they are never independent. They are nourished by certain factors and obstructed by others. The commentator here gets gets in to a detailed analysis of particularly this verse from Bhagavad Gita, Bichat Sudaracharo, showing that the position of bhakti is completely independent. And it's important that especially we understand how powerful bhakti is. That How powerful? Well, how powerful are we talking here? We're talking one utterance purely of the holy name can what? It can destroy more sinful reactions. The reactions to more sins than you can even ever commit. That's how powerful bhakti is. So when we look to a bhakti who has an accidental fall down, we have to understand, and I want to read this one paragraph because it's so, so crucial to the proper understanding. One may ask, can a person not be partially considered a sadhu to the extent to which he is doing bhajan while his sinful acts make him partially condemned as a sinner? The word Sadur Eva Pichatsudurachero Bajate Mam Ananyabak Sadur Eva Samantavya Manyag Vyavasitohisa Sadur Eva are given here. However, Eva meaning that he should not be partially considered a sadhu, but in all respects. He is rightly situated and sincerely believes that I will never give up the exclusive devotion of the Lord though I may go to hell or take an animal life for my sinful acts which are difficult to give up. That's a bhakta. That is the mentality of someone practicing pure devotional service. And when someone has that mentality that determination to continue to be Krishna's devotee no matter what, come hell or high water, I'm going to serve Krishna. If I'm situated properly in the mode of goodness and everybody says, hey, I'm a devotee, then, well, all well and good. And if I, my sinful life, if my past activities, if my if what's been burned in my consciousness regarding trying to enjoy this world is so strong that I'm still engaged in sinful life and I have to go to hell because of it or become an animal because of it because I just can't give it up. It won't go away. It's a samskara and somehow or other for me, it's just, it's still there. I don't care. I'm going to still Worship Krishna, no matter what. 
Nothing's going to stop me. Ever. Under any condition. That's bhakti. That's what this verse speaks to. You should see that person as a sadhu, no matter what. He's not a part of a sadhu. He's not a little bit of a sadhu and a big a part of a sinner. Or a medium part sinner and medium sadhu. He's a sadhu. A hundred percent sadhu. Well, you can say, I can't judge another man's heart. That's a fact. So, better you, what? You err on the side of caution. Look at him as a sadhu. Even if he has a material desire, even if he's not a sadhu, just you, as a sadhu, looking at him as a sadhu, are going to make him a sadhu. That's the merciful dispensation of bhakti. You understand? This is so important. Devotees like to measure everything. They want to measure everybody. Oh, you're not Prabhupada. No, I'm not. Never will be. Well, you're not this, you're not that. No, I'm just here trying to be Christian's devotee. We want to judge everybody according to what? Our ruler of what is a devotee. Well, even somebody as as spiritually adept as Gadadhar Pandit got it wrong. Right? You brought it up, didn't he? He got it wrong. What is the lesson there? Who are we compared to him? And he got it wrong. He looked at that person as a materialist. How did he have to rectify it? He fell at his feet and took initiation from him. What a solution. That was Lord Chaitanya's solution to his problem of offending a pure devotee. Who looked like a like a materialist? Who knows what he look, was doing? But whatever he was doing, it was pretty outlandish in the eyes of the devotees. Whether he was sucking on a hookah or looking at himself in a mirror or wearing fancy clothes or being carried on a palanquin, whatever it was, it was amazing display of materialism. So much so that Gadadhar said, "Never." Why did you bring me here? Let's leave now. He said, oh, wait a minute. Let me read this verse. See what the reaction is. Then you'll see, he's 100% sadhu. Don't use this external judgment. It's not an external thing. But, also, be careful. Rupa Goswami takes us, tells us to take care in the Upadeshamrita. And he gives us the guidelines. This is how the Kanista will act. This is how the Madhyam will act. This is how the Uttama will act. For your own protection, associate according to these guidelines. He doesn't say judge. He says judge your association according to these guidelines. Don't judge the individual. Judge where you should be to give yourself the best opportunity to advance in devotional service. I'll stop there. Any questions?
Yes. Um, when I was in, um, some years ago, I went up to Bhattari Gashram, and um, you could see up on the mountain uh, beyond the um, Bhattari Vishal's temple, um, the caves of these yogis. And what we were hearing was that these yogis are hundreds and hundreds of years old, 300 years old, 700 years mm -hmm. old. And so are they jnanis or are they yogis? Are they, you know, they, they just live on air? And, um, they could be thousands of years old. Who's to know? So they're yogis. They're they're trying to obtain yoga cities, or are they? Is that well, they wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know them. So I can't. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you what they are. Myself. But they would be in one of those two categories: either the jannis or the yogis, engaging in. I don't know, unless they're up there chanting bhajan in the under the direction of a bona fide. Vaishnav, they could be bhakta yogis. That would live that long. Oh yeah, sure. Why not? We're not this body. We have people in our line that live for hundreds of years too, carried around in a basket from one place to another, only to jump up and dance when the time's right. All right, we'll stop there. Thank you so much, Hare Krishna.